This episode of One for Paul was brought to you by our patrons. If you'd like to support the show, then go to patreon.com slash oneforpaul. Hello and welcome back to One for Paul, the show where I, a non-pop culturist, get inducted into the world of pop culture by my friends, co-humans, and nemeses. Joining me today is, uh, it's just me this time. It's just me. Uh, we had a couple of... Uh, 2020s happening, you all understand. But today, I've been encouraged by all kinds of people to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, by which I mean, welcome to Brooklyn Fine Wine, the story of a family-owned wine shop in Brooklyn trying to compete against the ruthless supermarket chain across the street. Yeah, we're, we're doing Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's, uh, it's a show... It's a show. Uh, it's about a police department, about a fictional police department in Brooklyn, which is in New York City, which is in New York, which is in the United States, which is in North America, which is on Earth, which is in the solar system. You get the idea. And I didn't really know anything about this show before watching this episode. I think uh, I didn't I didn't even know it was a police show. I don't know what I thought it was. I think all these uh, 20... 2010s American comedies sort of exist in the same universe to me, so I was half expecting to see Neil Patrick Harris show up at some point. Um, I guess maybe in my mind I thought this was How I Met Your Mother. I don't know sitcoms. It's not usually my kind of thing. I also, by the way, haven't seen How I Met Your Mother, but I'm passingly familiar with it somehow. Culture is weird. And also, yeah, I know, it's on the list. So, uh, as I say, I'm not really usually into American comedy, not usually into sitcoms, but a lot of people were telling me, no, Paul, this is a thing you're going to like. So, all right, I gave it a go. And, uh, well, I don't have too much more to say about it at the front, so fade in to a close-up of shallow focus, sort of, and a rather serious policeman speaking directly to camera about how the job is eating him alive and his fear that becoming... That he's just going to become just as bad as the criminals that he apprehends. Wait, no, never mind. He's uh, doing a speech from another um, Donnie Brasco. I don't know what a Donnie Brasco is, but uh, his partner is not amused by his shenanigans. Uh, they're in an electronics store to discover who robbed the place. He then proceeds to play a keyboard and generally be a bit of a nuisance to his partner here. Fortunately, he's already solved the case. Uh, so, you know, that's fine. He's, uh, he's got an informant, you see, the nanny cam hidden in a teddy bear right over here. And, uh, yeah, not even a minute in, and this guy all, already both annoys and amuses me. Cut forward to where they've caught the robbers. And into, uh, and as the intro segment concludes, with some sort of sexual tension, I guess, between the two detectives. Either that or, um, either that or the dude here is being very unprofessional. The next morning, JP and Santiago, that's the names of the two detectives we've just seen, seem to have some sort of bet going as to who can crack the most cases. And JP delivers the morning briefing on the murder of a luxury food importer. The police are casually ageist as they describe uh, the lady who found him having some old person gunk on them. So, you know how, uh, you know how old people have... Have that old person gunk. All right, look. It's, I guess it's funny, but this is the sort of reason I don't like American comedy, because it's like at the expense of someone, and I don't like that. But in any event, uh, turns out 
that they're about to have a new commanding officer arriving later today. And we're introduced to some of the other characters, an average-looking middle-aged man um, who is looking for ideas for dates with one of his co-workers. Uh, see, he wants to ask his colleague out on a date, and he's concerned that she might say no. So he figures uh, tickets to a, to a Rihanna concert. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty big swing, though. He's asking his colleague Gina, who says, yeah, it's... That's, uh, mm, how about a movie? She likes old movies. Uh, for the record, her advice to search for I want to buy two movie tickets for a girl who doesn't like me uh, is not the most helpful because I searched that and uh, the, you get the WikiHow page on how to ask a girl to the movies. So I think I might have found a search loop, which is kind of neat on its own, but uh, not going to get you a date, so... Who knows, maybe a movie will. Office chatter continues about who the new CO is going to be and what they're going to be like, according to JP. It's going to be worse than the old guy who let him do things like fire extinguisher roller chair derbies. Yeah, he'll be, uh, he'll be clearly more concerned with following every rule in the patrol guide. Meep, morp, zip, robot captain engage. Uh, and in classic comedy fashion, Captain Holt. The new captain man is right there behind him, and what I can only describe as an expert power move, the captain insists that JP continue his lampooning of him as he is stared the heck down. It is beautiful. I love this man so much, especially since his entire speech to his new staff is, I'm your new commanding officer, Captain Ray Holt. And, uh, Santiago, who it's been established is after a real mentor so that she can move up in the Force too. She says, speech! And he goes, yep, that was my speech. I'm leaving now. <laughs> he calls the sergeant into his office and sort of pieces out into there. And everybody's real impressed by this guy, except, except for JP here, who is not at all convinced. Inside the captain's office, he wants an explanation from his sergeant about why he was placed on administrative leave. Uh, looks like the sergeant here, Sergeant Terry, uh, panicked during a bust and destroyed a bunch of property by discharging an entire magazine of bullets wildly at a mannequin. See, he had twins a while ago, and he got real scared uh, about putting himself in danger, I think understandably. And, uh, yeah, that went, uh, it's been causing some issues for him. So I'm expecting this to be like a through line in the series, probably. Maybe this gets resolved in season two. Seems like the sort of thing you resolve in season two. Now on to the team, who each get their little micro scene characterizing them, as well as a brief commentary reflecting what Sergeant Jeffers thinks of them. That's Sergeant uh, Terry Jeffers. I have him noted down as both Jeffers and Terry, because he's played by Terry Crews, and it's easier in my mind to uh to refer to him as terry but he's also sergeant jeffords in this and i keep forgetting the distinction between the man and the character which is like it's very well acted he's very good at this so scully hitchcock and daniels the first three people and probably therefore the most important by which i mean pretty much worthless but they do make good coffee which i feel is important we got rosa diaz tough smart hard to read and really scary uh, we're shown a little scene where she interrogates a colleague 
about a secret Santa and then just stares at him until he spills the beans and does what she wants him to do, which is return the scarf, get something different. So I guess she's going to be like our B.A. Baracus, right? She's she's If we're setting up an A-team, she is Mr. T, which, yeah, that's pretty good. I'm looking forward to it. We got Charles Boyle, previously seen uh, being the middle-aged man inquiring about Rihanna tickets. He works real hard uh, to make up for a lack of natural talent. He is not what you'd call um, physically gifted, as he demonstrates with a muffin and a countertop. Uh... Uh, I get it. It, it. it was sort of funny. I think if you're into physical comedy, this is well done. I'm not into physical comedy, so... Eh, call me picky. I was like, alright, I, I get who this guy is. And it the, the joke sort of goes on for 30 seconds too long to me. But, again, I respect the hell out of it, just not my personal taste. Can't fault the show for that. Got Amy Santiago. She has seven brothers and therefore always trying to prove that she's tough. Like that one time by pouring a whole bottle of hot sauce on her sandwich at the mere recommendation of, ooh, that stuff's super spicy, though. Be careful. She, uh, she regrets that very quickly. And uh, Peralta, who I was calling JP because I think they call him JP at some point. Uh, Peralta is the best detective here, and he loves solving puzzles. The only puzzle he hasn't solved is how to grow up. Uh, the sergeant, yeah, it's, that's a sar- literally what the sergeant says, and, you know, pretty impressive way to do it. Understandably, because he's had ample opportunity to describe Detective Peralta in his departmentally mandated therapy sessions. And in only two scenes, Captain Holt has totally stolen the show for me. Here, Captain Holt says, where do we start? Well, we start with him pointing at Peralta. I guess he wants to find like the, the person who's the, oh, am I going to say it? The loose cannon of the, of the squadron. And he's going to, he's going to tame that person down, get him on side. And then everybody else sort of falls into place. I guess that's his thinking. We cut to Boyle and Diaz investigating the murder scene. Remember that murder? I do. Uh, turns out that one of the things stolen was an entire jamón ibérico, which is like a $6,000 ham. Uh, side note, that stuff is delicious. I've been lucky enough to have it a few times. It's it's super. If you have the chance, definitely. And now Boyle. Boyle agrees with me, and I immediately like Boyle and agree with his tastes. He is He was so impressed about the, the jamón ibérico that he ate... At his uncle's funeral, he ate so much of it, he gorged himself. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Uh, Peralta and Santiago are also here, and they discuss how it's impossible to solve crimes without wearing a tie. This looks like a real, a real ten-tie problem to me. Now, Peralta either dislikes ties, dislikes change, or dislikes being told what to do, so he isn't wearing one of the ties when the captain shows up and asks him why he isn't wearing a tie. And he says, hi, captain, welcome to the murder, which is so well delivered. He says it exactly like that. Hi, captain, uh, welcome to the murder. <laughs> it's I, I don't know what I'm expecting, but I like this guy. I like this delivery. I like the completely out of placeness that his um, 
that he places on situations, which I think we've all, even I have seen so many cop shows that I sort of know what to expect in this sort of scene. And he's just not doing any of it. And I love that. It's very different. It feels fresh to me. Says the non-pop culturist about a show made in, what was this, 2006? Question mark? It was something like that. I also, I know this actor from somewhere. I think he was an internet guy for a while. Was he the guy who did On a Boat? Was that him? It might be him. I didn't look it up, but now I'm thinking about it. I think it might be him. I like him. He's very funny. Uh, also calling out the line as the captain leaves, uh, saying, well, that went well. The captain says back, no, it didn't. Establishing the captain's superpowered hearing. Outside, Boyle asks Diaz out on a date uh, as she gets into her car. And she just sort of goes, yeah, sure, let's go see a movie. Uh, but she wants a better movie than Citizen Kane, which she confidently declares to be terrible. I haven't seen that, but I guess it's got a reputation as being the best movie ever, OMG, which I guess is the joke. Uh, I now I now wonder if it's actually that good or whether Citizen Kane is great is more of a movie meme than a reflection of the quality of the work itself. I mean, I'm sure it's good. But, you know, anytime people say, oh, it's the best thing ever, it's the best thing ever, I have to wonder, is it, though? I mean, I am talking from a place of ignorance, but I guess I haven't seen it in part because I was afraid of not liking it. And if I've seen something and don't like it and everybody else loves it, then I'm completely on the outside there, right? But if I haven't seen it, then at least I have some deniability? That's dumb. I might like it. It might be one of my favorites. I might enjoy it. Why would I deny myself something I enjoy? I'm going to watch that one. Maybe not next, but I'm going to watch that one. I love how hard she is to read. Diaz, I mean. Uh, even by the other uh, even by the other detectives, who you would imagine would be good at that, uh, she is... This characterizes very well how absolutely inscrutable she is back at the precinct and the captain is having a conversation with gina the civilian administrator who probably has her ear to the ground and might know what he wants to know about the bet between santiago and peralta but first she has six conditions the first one is she needs to be able to use the captain's office to work on her dance moves we don't get to hear what the other five are because the captain is a no-nonsense awesome man, and he says, no, 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 you're going to tell me or I'm going to suspend you without pay. <laughs> so, oh, cool, that's fine, good deal. So, here's the thing. Uh, she tells him that the bet is a Mustang. Uh, this is Peralta's Mustang. And Santiago, on her end, it's uh, it's a date with her. That seems a little lopsided to me, but, I mean, evidently, I guess Peralta guarantees according to Gina, that it will end in sex. You know, just... Gina's not super convinced, she reckons, maybe a bit of touching, maybe a bit of over-the-clothes. This, of course, makes the the captain very... He makes a little, uh... He's uncomfortable with this. And understandably, I would be, wouldn't you? We rejoin Peralta and Santiago knocking on doors, uh, which Peralta had previously said is completely useless, which, uh, turns out... Well, let's see how it turns out. It's a good thing they're here, because through door number one, turns out that some guy just ran into this man's apartment, smoked a bunch of weed, and then and then just ran away. Just ran away. 
Fortunately, he did leave his bong on the floor, so probably he'll be back later to pick that up. So, you know, all they have to do is wait around for the guy and he'll be back to, to smoke some more weed, probably. Uh, this is where culturally I have difficulty with this, because like I, I've said it before on the show, I'll say it again. I find the idea of marijuana stuff carrying a prison sentence or the police getting involved at all is completely ridiculous. But I'm also Canadian, and where I'm from, it's completely legal, so I, that's my bias, I guess, but I, I find that preposterous. It's not even my thing. I don't like it. I don't want to do it, but, you know, if you want to, I don't care. Why would I care? So, sidetrack done. We don't get to learn what our two detectives think about this whole weed situation, uh, because it's a little bit less pressing than a murder. Glad to see that they've got their priorities straight. Now, what's behind door number two? This is a timid man named, uh, Mlep... I, I even wrote this down, and I can't... Okay, Mlepnos? Mlepnos. You see, it's spelled, uh, M-L-E-P-Clay-N-O-S. Uh, the clay is silent. The, the clay is... I like this guy. <laughs> it's, I guess he doesn't speak very good English, because, uh... When they show him a photo of the guy and say, do you know this man? He sort of takes the photo and goes, oh, thank you. And then goes back inside. Confused as to why the police just gave him a photograph of someone he doesn't know. <laughs> so, oh, well. Finally, what's behind door number three? Well, here's the thing. Santiago, she has a guess. She is an expert detective and she knows exactly who's going to answer the door. Wall Street Journal on the doormat, top floor apartment, clearly, clearly a hot eligible bachelor. Oh yeah. Uh, that costs her 20 bucks is the, is the bet she makes with Peralta because a 92 year old man answers the door, what with the tubes in his nose. So yeah, the, the door, the door to door didn't really yield anything. It turns out back at the precinct, turns out not really anybody found anything. And to make things worse, Peralto overdid it with the manscaping. Never go full manscape. And also, he isn't wearing his tie correctly. He is pointedly not wearing his tie correctly, because he tied it around his midriff. Looks like Peralta and Boyle want to follow a lead, but they don't want to follow procedure and brief the CO first. At this point, I'm fully expecting that at any moment, somebody will say, You're a loose cannon, Peralta! Completely expecting that. If that doesn't happen at some point in the show, I will be shocked. I, If I'm writing that, I can't help myself. Probably why I don't write TV shows. Cut to Beneficio's Deli, which is a nearby deli, which uh, Boyle seems to know is the kind of place where they might sell Iberico ham. It's like an upscale deli place. And he's super into ham. Why wouldn't he be? It's delicious. So on a bit of a punt, Peralta confronts this, the first guy they talk to in the shop. His name is Radko, who doesn't really, is acting a little squirrely. And he suggests that, uh, hey, here's a situation that I think might have happened. Someone tried to sell you a ham. You decided to steal the ham when he wasn't home, only he was home. So you shot him in the face and took the ham. Then Peralta and Boyle do some uh, role play, I guess, which I, I mean, I sort of get Peralta's jokey tone here, 
But Boyle so far has seemed pretty straight-laced to me, so I don't know why he goes along with this unless he's being characterized as somewhat weak-willed, so he sort of just follows whatever the strongest personality in the room is doing. Which, if that's what they're going for, I think they succeeded. So, you know, it was a weird moment for me at first, but on second viewing, I sort of went, oh, actually, yeah, okay, fair enough. I, I think I understand why this why this made the cut. Turns out that they were right, or at least Radko thinks that they were right, and he attempts to flee, and that's how they know that, oh man, he tried to run. And there's zero other reason for running than if you're guilty of the specific thing that we told, that we said you were guilty of, right? Case closed. And uh, I do also quite like that when they announce NYPD get down, that just well, old, this old lady just sort of looks at them and goes, I'm not getting down, I'm going to keep shopping, what are you doing? <laughs> and uh i this kind of like mechanical people keep doing what they're doing first of all does actually happen in crisis situations people don't know what to do so they default to like the thing that they were doing out of panic so yeah first of all that happens and second of all i quite like the fact that i i can imagine six or i can imagine a bunch of different ways that she would be thinking right now including but not limited to I'm not getting down. I've seen everything. I, I, you know, I'm a 67-year-old New Yorker. What are you going to do, right? <laughs> so I I like how unimpressed she is by the situation. She gets like three seconds of screen time, and I love her this much. Uh, after a quite... Uh, it's like a jokey fight scene. It, it feels like a low-stakes fight scene, which is you a know, comedy show. I wouldn't be expecting something like a John Wick here. Uh, we do get these moments like Radko shoving Boyle's face into some ice cream to get away because evidently when you got your face covered in ice cream that you can't run after that you can't run after a guy after he you got ice cream all over your face so uh back to the precinct and turns out that no uh he didn't brief the chief that's uh peralta i mean he didn't brief the chief and yes the guy did get away but on the plus side here's some hazelnut ice cream i'll just put the spoon right there for you and you enjoy that you enjoy so i guess uh you know he can't be mad now that's like that's like the rules of ice cream anger and ice cream cannot exist in the same space at the same time they, they cancel each other out you see that's that's just math so peralta is assigned to the records room which exists despite the existence of computers though i will say on a personal note in the defense of this kind of physical archive Paper has a hell of a battery life. Sergeant Terry would quite like to be assigned to the record room, though. That doesn't sound like a punishment to him. He likes to be where the action isn't. And I think quite understandably, I also wouldn't want to be where the action is. That sounds fine to me. I'm going to stick down here in the nice bulletproof concrete room. Thanks. I don't think the show characterizes it as cowardice. I think they characterize it as perfectly reasonable fear for your own safety and for the well-being of your family. And I like that they introduce that kind of nuance early because it's so easy for them to go into your typical cop show. Like if anyone shows any fear, it's displayed as somehow unmanly or it's displayed as unprofessional, which I think are both just so wrong. We also get some exposition about the captain. See, in 1981, turns out he caught a guy called the Disco Strangler. Insert disco music, if I can afford it. 
If I was able to afford the disco music, then it will be here. If not, then, you know, maybe go to Patreon and throw me a couple bucks so the next time I can put some disco music somewhere. That's literally the first... Th I promise that's the first thing I'll spend the money on is disco music. Unless I forget. In which case, you must remind me by going and telling me on Twitter, at one for Paul. See that? You see that segue? That was, that was a pretty smooth little... I didn't even... I didn't even write that. It just came out of me. It's pretty good. So, we have a handy flashback showing us just how good this guy is as he, in a full head of hair this time, uh, apprehends a dude with a yo-yo. So thanks, flashback. We can always count on you. Cut back to the office where Diaz is not impressed by Boyle hedging his bets by buying every single movie ticket at the film festival. And to demonstrate how not opinionated she is when he says, well, I thought you're quite opinionated and maybe I should just get everything and, tell, and you decide. Uh, she declares that she, does, she has a couple of opinions, including that he's a bad judge character and his shirt looks like vomit. I think his shirt looks nice, but maybe my shirt also looks like vomit. I'll post a picture of my shirt later. Maybe you can tell me. Uh, their interaction has so far been... Just so interesting to me. It's 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 quite intricate, and I let let me try to explain why I like these two so far. So she in this little scene kicks his table and then has the slight just the slightest hint of a smile, which she allows herself when asking him, So what movie did you choose? You know, maybe looking for uh I guess her expectation is that he's chosen something he thinks she would enjoy. Uh so she can get maybe an insight into who he is and maybe who he thinks she is. But out of his fear of rejection, his fear of rejection got in his way, and he ended up showing her that he thinks she's difficult to please and that he's afraid of her, which uh not not great if you're trying to if you're trying to go on a date with someone to immediately imply that you fear them. Uh I mm. But I do love what I love about every character being a detective is that I can pile this sort of supposition onto them quite reasonably, because maybe a detective would think in terms of this kind of, uh, you know, if this, then that, and this sort of contingency after contingency thing, and this sort of implied reasoning. Maybe that's the kind of training they have, so they do it despite themselves, which means that the characters themselves in this TV show kind of think and react like a critic, almost like a critic. Uh, though this also me might be me, the film critic, thinking like a film critic about the characters who are not doing that. That might be my bias. Uh, either way, it's an aspect of the show that I'm enjoying, and I really like these two. So, uh, cut to the records room where the captain is checking up on Peralta, who's done some expert, expert detective work and discovered a likely location for their murderer. He is also wearing a tie this time, which, you know, Captain's pretty happy about that. Oh, you're wearing a tie. Nice. Sweet. You know what he's not wearing? Pants. Not wearing pants. He's just wearing one of them super tight rainbow-colored, uh, you know, bathing suit dealies. Not the short types either, like the super tighty-whitey, uh, tighty rainbowy ones. So, this attempt at snark backfires catastrophically as the captain invites the whole team to admire his fine, fine piece of police work. 
it's <clears throat> I continue to love the captain. Wasn't expecting him to dryly outsnark Peralta. This is so good. Cut to the captain, Peralta, and Santiago in a car at a stakeout of a warehouse. Turns out that Peralta is seriously impressed by the captain's disco killer thing in the 1980s, but wonders why it took him so long to get his first command if he was that kind of impressive. So the reason, as it turns out, is that Holt is gay, and says so. It's not like he's trying to hide it. He's kind of surprised that his detective didn't piece it together earlier, especially given that there's a big photo of him on a news article saying, first gay police chief in the 99 precinct over there on a wall in plain view of the captain's office. I don't know, maybe the detective just didn't look right. And here the show commits the cardinal sin of calling back to its own foreshadowing in montage. Though, I actually quite like it here. I quite like the sin here because uh, they, what we're seeing is Peralta's mind as he rummages through his own memory to, to piece some stuff together. To me, it's a clever way to characterize Peralta as a bit stuck in his own perspective uh, because it seems not to have occurred to the self-appointed best detective on the force that being gay might have held back a talented professional in the 80s and 90s of New York. Though to Peralta's credit, he quickly realizes his error and his hubris, and after hearing Captain Holt talk about his career, he apologizes and says he feels like a jackass, probably because he behaved like a jackass. We also get a little interstitial scene here of another car where Diaz and Boyle are in the car doing the same stakeout, and Diaz gives Boyle some money to cover all the movies he bought tickets to, because she feels bad that he spent all that money on her and they're not going to go to the movies now though she still doesn't want to go to the movies with him. Turns out that uh, though Boyle thinks like, oh, this is a bit awkward, Diaz says, no, it's not awkward. I like you. You're sweet. I like your company. I enjoy you. So maybe going forward, Peralta will be a bit more humble. Or maybe he's immediately far too pleased with himself at finding Radko, who shows up directly in front of them and goes into the warehouse. And as they begin clearing the storage units, uh, clearing in the sense of, you know, taking their guns out and pointing them down the place, because I guess they think he might be armed, they discover a maintenance worker who is not going to let a little thing like having guns pointed at her by the police stop her from doing her job. And Peralta finds the storage unit where Radko is, and is greeted with a gun to the face. Fortunately, they're a team, and the main thing about teams is that they stick together, and also the main thing about teams is that they wear uniforms, because they're a team, and teams wear uniforms, and oh my god, I finally get it! The tie is a uniform, and it's so important to the captain, because he was kept off the team for so long, but now he's the coach, and everybody, and he wants everybody to wear the tie proudly. Uh, isn't that great? Hey, maybe make the arrest first, asshole. Just, just maybe, we're currently... Guns drawn on this perpetrator, would you please? And it looks like Peralta solved the mystery. Good job. High five. Also, yeah, okay, let's actually apprehend the murderer. Yeah, it's fine. And uh, as they finish up taking this guy into custody, Peralta is moving around kind of weird in a way. The captain looks over at him and goes, what's wrong with you? He says, uh, never took off the Speedo. Big mistake, it is inside of me. Great work, team. And roll credits. 
That was a lot funnier than I was expecting. It was a lot better crafted than I was expecting. It was a lot less mean-spirited than I've come to expect from American comedy. I didn't feel like anybody was really... On a few occasions, I felt people were being laughed at, but not in a particularly mean-spirited way. Uh, it's I, To me, it reminds me... The pacing reminds me a bit of Family Guy. Like, uh, the scenes seem really mostly to exist for the sake of a joke the writers thought of. And then they sort of set the plot around the jokes they want to tell. But I also don't hate that. I I think that joke after joke is funny. I'd, but also, the plot does make a lot of sense. And I am primarily a plot guy. If the plot makes no sense, I'm sort of not here for it. And I am here for this. This is kind of great. Uh, character by character, I thought at the front that I would be super annoyed by Peralta. And I sort of am. I'm I'm bothered by his casual, dismissive tone of Santiago. Uh, he, he makes these little tiny comments, like in the warehouse, he says, okay, let's go. You look great. And then they go, which is, I, it, Santiago looks dismayed when he says stuff like that. And I would be too. It's quite disrespectful, honestly. I mean, I'm, I get that he's openly into her, but it still feels wrong. Right. And I think it is wrong. So I, I don't know if they meant to characterize it that way. Maybe he has a redemption arc. I hope he has a redemption arc because otherwise they've made like the main funny man a bit of a misogynist. And I, I'm not sure I like that. Uh, Santiago doesn't get much characterization in this episode. She does seem to be set up as like the, the straight laced counterpart to Peralta's silliness. But, you know, it's 21 minutes long, and I hope... Like, she probably gets episodes, so I'm not super mad at that. Diaz and Boyle, as I said, their interplay is super subtle and beautifully written, and I really want to know if they end up together. I... I it's so nice. I... Mm, it's interesting. Uh, Sergeant Terry also doesn't get a whole lot of screen time. Uh, he is, however, a real strong presence. Anytime he's on screen, he's the guy I'm paying attention to. And I would look forward to an episode concentrating on him. The The setup for his character is interesting, and I think you could do a lot with uh, a cop who's, you know, he, he feels and he says that he's lost his edge. And, uh, yeah, maybe does he get it back? Does he end up working in records? Who knows? I could see both of those things happening in, the, in a comedy show. Uh, Gina, who... Again, doesn't have much time on screen, but is kind of funny. Her physical presence, her physical comedy is quite funny. Uh, though, uh, the few times that she makes verbal jokes, I feel like that's the kind of mean American style I don't like, where she's saying things like, oh, yeah, well, why don't you just look up on the internet how to get a date with somebody who doesn't like you? I don't know. Uh, it's not my taste. I could see other people finding her funny. I'm sure she's someone's favorite, but, uh, but you know, my favorite is Captain Holt, because, oh man, I, when he came in as the no-nonsense captain, I was fully expecting him to be what Santiago turned out to be, which was like the, the, okay, so the, I'm having trouble here, because the, I was taught that this type of character is called, quote-unquote, the straight man, and now that I'm saying that in reference to a gay character, that feels, that feels wrong. Uh, so if anybody knows a better term for that, uh, then, you know, that would be cool to know, and I'll use that instead. Either way, he turns out not to be that. He is not really the foil to Peralta's silliness. That's sort of Santiago. 
but he is a source of dry wit and clever humor in his own right, which is exactly my kind of humor and probably why I love him so much. And it's also probably why the only time I laughed out loud this whole episode was when he got the whole team together when Peralta was wearing the bathing suit. Because that was just so wonderful and clever how he turned the situation around into something that was sort of harmlessly funny but also made his point. I This is a good show. This is a good show. Uh, the, the the shooting style, the, the camera style, I should talk about that. It's sort of this documentary style handheld look uh, on almost all of the shots, I think. And it really makes, when they choose to do a locked off shot with maybe a shallow depth of field, those really stand out and feel momentous in a really cool way. The, the, the contrast, I think, makes it really good. And I kind of hope it doesn't get old but it, it feels like the sort of thing that might get old real quick, right? Like those crash zooms on people's faces and the, you know, the, the shoulder cam style thing. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting as a visual style, but I think, were they the first to use? They might have been the first to use this. And if so, great, no problem. But I have since seen this kind of style done badly and to death. So I don't want to blame them for doing a cliche if they're the ones who invented the cliche, right? So... That's where I'm not super prepared to take a stance on it, but in here, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it I thought it worked really, really well. Also, could I just say, I think this is one of the best pilot episodes that I have ever seen for anything. The last time I recall being this impressed by a pilot episode was maybe Breaking Bad, and I really liked that show. So, and yeah, I think Famously had one of the best pilots ever. This is an impressive pilot, and I am intrigued, and I want to see more of the show. This is... I am definitely going to watch more of this. So uh, if you have a particular favorite episode that you really think like, oh man, you need to see this one, then hit me up on Twitter at one for Paul. Or you can also contact me by becoming one of my patrons at patreon.com slash one for Paul and chip in a few bucks. Maybe help me make the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. It is inside of me. Great work, team.